Going Linux, episode 282. Listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, listener feedback. If you want to send us feedback, our email is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail is 1-904-468-7889. Hey, Bill. Hello, Larry. We are here once again uh, reading our listener feedback and providing some answers to the questions that people pose us. And I'm very excited to be doing that. Do do we have to get the answers right, though? Um, I think that's optional, but people <sighs> do appreciate when we get it right. Well, okay. You just said answer questions. You didn't say I had to get it right or not. Uh, well, I think it's wise to do that way. So how how was your week? My week's great. How about you? Oh, it's been been good. Just uh, finishing up the last of the move. I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Dog ate my breakfast as usual. So, <laughs> well, you got a happy dog. Yeah, happy dog. Nice, <laughs> nice sitting sleeping in a chair. He's happy and full. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that I'm hungry, but that's fine. <laughs> okay, well, let's get started with our All feedback right. today. Okay, our first is from Nightwise, and he actually sends us a voice recording. He is starting us off with a cross-platform segment. As we mentioned last time, Nightwise appears to have a little more time in his schedule, busy, busy schedule running his own business, and uh, he's he sent us some tips in the past, and we really appreciate it, so here's another one. Hi, Larry. Hey, Bill. This is Nightwise from the Nightwise.com podcast, calling in with a little cross-platform tip. One of the things that I do a lot is mind map. Uh, I love using mind maps to get my thoughts in order and to organize information. This can either be for a podcast that I want to do, or blog posts that I want to write about, or uh, lectures that I give for the company that I have. Mind maps make me... Uh, creative enough to dump all of my random ideas into a single file or structure and then reorganize that accordingly. It kind of really helps out with the chaos in my head. But then there, of course, is the chaos in my computer life. Because, you know, I'm a slider. I have a Windows machine. I have a Linux machine. I have a Mac. I have a Google Chromebook. And I regularly work on computers that aren't even mine using stuff like portable apps. So I wanted a mind map, and I wanted to have my mind maps with everywhere. So what application could I possibly use that could do the trick? Enter FreeMind, a great mind map application that is cross-platform. It's an actual application that you install on your Linux machine. It's available in the Ubuntu repositories that you can find online to download for Windows and for the Mac. The experience using the application is kind of the same on the three platforms. It's not the hippest, coolest, newest application. It reeks a little bit of old graphical user interface styles a la the GIMP 1996, but it does what it needs to do surprisingly well. 
you can make new mind maps, organize mind maps, reorganize them, uh, use different themes, and also export your mind maps to different kinds of files like outlines, text files, PDFs, and whatnot. The standard output, however, of mind map is the mmap file structure that you can save to your Google Drive. Also, pretty cool, not very special, but when you use the Chrome extension called MindMup, M-I-N-D-M-U-P, you can actually open these. So you have a cross-platform solution that works on your Chromebook, on your Mac, on your Windows machine, and on your Linux machine. Now, how do you get them across? Pretty easily. You just shove them in Dropbox or in Google Drive. And MindMup will ask you, uh, if you want to, for access to your Dropbox or your Google Drive uh, files. So you can make a mind map on your Linux machine, save it into Google Drive, walk on over to the other side of the room, open up your Chromebook, launch MindMup in the browser, tell it to go to your Dropbox, open up the file, and continue working on the mind map. Very cool. It, of course, is completely free. So is the Mind Map extension, and it will help you make cross-platform mind maps, no matter where you are or on what system that you are working. This was Nightwise from the Nightwise.com podcast, a podcast with more hacks, tips, and tweaks for cross-platform geeks. If you want to find out more, head on over to the website www.nightwise.com. That's K-N-I-G-H-D-W-I-S-E.com, where you will find the links to subscribe to the podcast. Have a great time, and until then, let technology work for you. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks for that, Nightwise. And mind mapping is something that I do once in a while for business. It's not something that I do just around the house for fun, but I'm sure those (laughs) tips will help anyone needing cross-platform mind mapping software for business. Uh, Nightwise, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Nightwise. That was real helpful. I've actually used uh, mind mapping a few times when I was setting up a pro- uh, project that I had to write for school. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, the only problem is when I do my mind mapping, it looks like someone just took a bunch of crowns and just started drawing lines. So, you know. <laughs> well, I think that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, it happened to go off the paper and onto the walls and stuff. So, you know, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's probably not the most yeah. efficient use. Well, you know, using software like this, that'll help you not have to clean <laughs> off the walls so much, you know. All right. <laughs> Our first email comes from Jim, and he writes, Larry and Bill, welcome back, Bill. The show is not complete without you. Well, thanks, Jim. That's really nice. Of course. I agree with you, Jim. Yeah. He has to say that. I'll give you five bucks later, Larry. <laughs> Over a year ago, I bought a refurbished Dill Optiplex 775 that come with Vista. I wiped it clean, installed Linux Mint, and earlier this year, after Ubuntu Mate became an official member of the Ubuntu family, I reinstalled Ubuntu Mate 14.04 LTS, which is long-term service. Couldn't ask for a better system. Does everything I want and does it well? With one minor exception. Sometimes a website will complain that the Flash is older, is an older version and it needs to be updated in order to watch the video. Sometimes it just won't let me watch it. Sometimes it will. 
I decided to update to the current version, but when I rebooted to run the live session, the BIOS refused to enter the BIOS menus. F2 is for setup and F12 is for boot order. I also tried Alt, ESC, and space keys with and without the control key. All that would happen was that the computer went into the grub menu. Is there any way that I can do a fix that will, that will force the BIOS to enter its menus? If not, could it be done professionally? I have searched on the internet for a solution to no avail. I have been searching for IPs other than Gmail that are compatible with Thunderbird. Any suggestions? Jim, now in St. Petersburg, Florida. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, I don't think updating Flash will have affected your BIOS unless it wasn't a real version of Flash and you ended up with some sort of rootkit that, you know, is now <laughs> preventing you from getting into BIOS. But that's probably pretty unlikely, especially since you're running Linux. Yeah. Uh, and quite frankly, on the Flash thing, you'll get that message because uh, Ubuntu as many Linux distributions do, does not install Adobe Flash. They install a, an open source compatible version of it. So the websites are going to look to see if you have the latest version of Flash and, and the good websites will offer to update it and the bad websites will also offer to update it, but will take you somewhere where you're downloading malware. <laughs> um, and so if the... Website lets you watch the video anyway. Great. No problem. Uh, if you have to go to a website where it has to use Flash and it insists on using the latest Adobe Flash, if you're going to get it, get it from Adobe. Don't go to Flash.com or anything that isn't the Adobe website to get it. Oh, yeah. uh, and there is a proprietary version that allows you to install under Linux. So you can do that. Um, Check to see if it's in your repositories first, because depending on your Linux distribution, they may offer it. Uh, okay, so that's the Flash thing. Now, for your BIOS, uh, because you can't get into the BIOS menus, uh, there's either something wrong with BIOS, or if it's an older computer, and if it says it's over a year ago you bought it, I don't know how much over a year ago, but it did come with Vista, it's possible that the little battery for your CMOS the little battery that runs the system clock and other stuff uh, at boot time has died. And so go in there and check that, uh, you know, replace it if necessary. Uh, I don't know how you check it, <laughs> you know, just replace it with a new one just to be sure and see if that fixes your BIOS problem. Uh, that's the only thing that I can think that would cause this kind of BIOS issue. Any thoughts, Bill? No, I think you pretty much covered it there. I was just trying to, uh, figure out exactly what's going on. Yeah, the only thing that could affect your BIOS would be something that gets installed before and runs before the BIOS. I don't know what that would be unless it's some sort of rootkit malware uh, that's interfering with your ability to uh, jump into the BIOS on boot. Uh, or it could be that, that battery that's just... Uh, munging stuff up for you those are the only two things and as far as an interview uh, a um, an email provider that's compatible with thunderbird uh just about any uh, email provider out there is compatible with thunderbird certainly google is is good for that 
when you're choosing a mail provider and you want to make sure that it's compatible with Thunderbird, check to see in their knowledge base or on their help site or their forums. Uh, and if they don't have any of that, stay very clear of them. Um, but if, the, if they do have those, check there to see if they have set up instructions for either IMAP or POP3 and IMAP would be preferable. And those would be the settings you would need to make it Thunderbird compatible. When you're looking for a mail provider, you, you need to make sure that they support IMAP, preferably over POP, because uh, IMAP, uh, Thunderbird will work with it. Yeah, exactly. And Thunderbird is, is meant to easily set up with those kinds of mail systems. But why would you choose, why is it so important to pick IMAP over POP? Well, POP is an older um, uh, format, and it's it's becoming less and less popular. Uh, it was originally designed for days of dial-up modems when it was difficult to get a connection and maintain a connection and uh, have any sort of connection at, at a very high speed, which for most people these days is not an issue. Uh, and so, you know, it's uh, pop seems to have settings that are geared to um, that that kind of disconnected world. Uh, whereas with with IMAP, it, it's a lot more seamless and it's designed a little more for uh, more frequent synchronization of, of okay. email between the server and the client. Quite frankly, you know, for me, I used to use Thunderbird a lot, and it's just become more convenient for me to just use Gmail online. Yeah. Uh, and I think more and more people are going that way as they are more and more continuously connected in their in their internet. But I think that there are plenty of people out there who still have intermittent connections or poor connections or slow connections where... A uh, mail client like Thunderbird is certainly helpful to have because you don't have to be continuously connected to check your email, email and respond to it. Just wondering real quick, and I don't mean to get off on tangent, uh, Gmail uses IMAP, right? Gmail gives you support for either IMAP or POP. What's the default? Uh, I don't know that there's a default for Gmail okay. because it's really something you set up in the client. Okay. Okay. The reason I was saying is I wonder how IMAP plays into, you know, uh, you can always enter your credentials and all your contacts and all your emails loaded back to your phone or your computer or whatever. I just wondered how much IMAP plays in that. Yeah. Well, I think that IMAP certainly helps. It certainly is capable of all those things. And if I remember correctly, when you open up Thunderbird and you go to enter in your mail settings. Uh -huh. If you, if you tell it, you have a Gmail account, it will automatically set it up as IMAP. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it knows what the settings should be for Gmail. So it knows the outbound server and the inbound server because that's published information and Gmail is pretty popular. So the folks at Thunderbird or the folks at Mozilla have it so that it, it picks the most reasonable settings for you without you having to go and research it uh, on the Google site. All right. So in addition, as a response to Jim, we asked Jack Death, a listener, Troy in Wisconsin to help since he's knowledgeable about such hardware issues as 
Jim is describing here. And after some valuable suggestions from Troy, Jim wrote back, Larry, thank you and Jack Death for the information. I removed the CMOS battery and waited over 10 minutes before replacing it. I am now able to access the BIOS menu. However, there is one glitch. Now it requires me to press F1 to continue with the boot, F2 to enter the BIOS setup menu, or F5 to run system diagnostics. It is only a problem because the BIOS does not recognize the Logitech wireless keyboard that I'm using. It does recognize a wired keyboard. It is a minor annoyance that I can live with for now. I did a fresh install of Ubuntu Mate 15.04 which did not affect the BIOS operation at all. I posted the problem with the BIOS on Ask Ubuntu and Dell Community Support Forums a week ago. I received no answers from either. I appreciate your quick response. Gmail is frustrating me as much as Windows was when I switched to Linux in 2007. I do not even use their website. I use Thunderbird and will soon explain why in my gone Linux story. Note that I am switching to GMX for emails. I will keep my Gmail accounts active, which will be monitored by the Evolution email client. Again, thank you and keep up the good work. And Bill, too. I got an honorable mention. <laughs> okay, so it looks like my suggestion on the CMOS battery was exactly what Jack Death had had suggested as well. And so that fixed the BIOS thing. I, I don't know what's going on with the BIOS working a different way than it did before. Hmm. You might want to look into a uh, firmware update. See if you're if see if Dell has a firmware update that will that you can apply under Linux. And I think Dell is one of the companies that actually gives their firmware updates in a fashion that you can install them under Linux without having to go into FreeDOS or something like that to make it work. But uh, check into that too. Uh, maybe there's an update. Yeah. Our next email comes from Tony and he writes, Hey Larry, got another thing going on. Shockwave Flash is crashing a lot. That's pretty straightforward. Regards, Cherry Hill Tony. Well, Tony, that's what you get for using Shockwave. <laughs> <laughs> so Flash is one of those uh, obsolete technologies that some websites insist on using and it should be eliminated from the face of the earth, I think. <laughs> I, I have no suggestion for you. I really stay away from those websites that use Flash. And if it's absolutely necessary... Um, I I don't know. Again, try installing the latest version from Adobe and, you know, install a proprietary version. You may have already done that. I don't have any other suggestions. Bill? I don't. Shockwave. I haven't used Shockwave in years. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, we're still make sure we're thinking about the same thing. This is just... Uh, we go on the website and they have those little shockwave games and is yeah. that, oh god I hate I hate those things <laughs> yeah yeah they never worked yeah the the uh, there are still some websites out there that are using 1990s technology like this and uh, oh wow you know, uh, hopefully you don't have to be on one for work or anything like that Tony wow. but uh, anyway if if it is a work related site. And it is run by the company you work for. You might get a hold of your webmaster or your IT department and suggest that they 
eliminate shockwave flash because it's one of those things that is under attack constantly by malware writers and virus writers and so on and it's not not good software anymore it was a state of the art back in the 90s but yeah we've what, 1990, well that. <laughs> 1995 <laughs> yeah something like that wow yeah okay all right, our next email is from Jeremy in Indiana, who wrote, Hello, Larry and Bill. I recently discovered your podcast and have been listening during my daily commute to work. In a sense, I have already, quote, gone Linux since the release of Ubuntu 14.04, but I have benefited greatly from your podcast. I had tried previous versions before 14.04, but always got discouraged by crashing installers or missing Wi-Fi drivers. Ubuntu and other distros seem to have greatly improved the reliability of the installers since 2010. I've been all in for 16 months now and am very satisfied with the many benefits Linux offers over Windows. But... Why is there always a but? <laughs> I still have to run Windows Virtual Machine in order to VPN remote desktop to work. My company uses the website vpn2.safelink.net, which doesn't work under Linux. I recently listened to your podcast episode number 247 from June 20th, 2014, wow. covering open... <laughs> Hey, some of this stuff is still applicable after a long time. Uh, and in that episode, we covered OpenVPN. So Jeremy continues, but I'm not sure if it will allow me to connect. Can you offer suggestions or guidance on how to jump the final hurdle in my going Linux journey? Thank you, Jeremy. And I responded to Jeremy uh, after several email exchanges to clarify the problem and he provided some screenshots and in the end I finally provided this email to Jeremy as a last, last ditch resort. I did some digging and found this document. We'll have a link to the document on VPNs in the show notes. I continued, page seven seems like it might be the configuration your IT department has set up. If so, it may need Java to work. And I also provided a link to the uh, Ubuntu help article on Java. Uh, I'm thinking that if you can talk to your IT people, they may be able to provide some guidance. They may even need to configure something on the server to make it so that you can connect using Linux. So in the end, I wasn't too much help with Jeremy. Uh, hopefully, these suggestions have uh, been useful. Jeremy did say that he's going to contact his IT people. I haven't heard back from him yet to see how successful that was. But like I said, I hope that helps, Jeremy. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. Let us know how it goes. Our next email comes from George from Tulsa. He has been trying to get Linux on his three NUC devices. You want to you explain what NUC for people who don't know what it is, Larry? Yeah, so that's a NUC. It's from Intel, and it is a about the size of maybe a Mac Mini or an Apple TV or like the System76 Meerkat. Uh, they're all this tiny form factor desktop computer 
that sits in the corner of your desk instead of taking up the entire desk or being so big you have to put it under your desk or the table you work on. It's tiny, but it's powerful. And that's what a nook is. All right. A nook. A, a nook, nook, not a nook. A nook is a... a <laughs> E-reader. E-reader. There you go. So this is a nook. And it's spelled differently, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> continuing on. Consider this a report and tip from the bleeding edge, not a complaint. Well, not exactly a complaint. When we bought three 2015 NUCs for work, the only version of Linux I was able to install was Ubuntu 15.04. I've posted before, don't know if it was the kernel or something else. 15.04 kept throwing crash errors. Oh, the system didn't shut down, but the Ubuntu software store seemed late or some software simply wouldn't install at all. A couple of weeks ago, I noticed Mint KDE 17.2 was released, and since I wanted to run KDE software, decided to give it a try. Yes, it installed! Yes, I was able to run KDE software natively. But, for whatever reason, Plasma 14.12 that come with the KDE Mint was unhappy on the NUCs and our dual monitors. After going back online and reading reviews, I decided to try Mint 17.2 Cinnamon. Not a happy conversion. It's the SSDs. The installer isn't formatting them correctly. No idea why. But after several install crashes, I decided the error reported unable to write grub to SDA while the install boot was directed to SDB was giving me some useful advice. I used Samsung's Magician to secure delete the M.2 at SDB and temporarily pulled the SATA connector to the 2.5 SSD. That did it. Every flavor of Linux seems to have its advantages and disadvantages, but persistence necessary to get them working, the test is becoming daunting. Wow. Yeah, and uh, George has provided his updates, ongoing updates on the his experiences with the NUC and has been getting advice from our Google Plus community. And there are several updates since this. And it's been a bit of an ordeal, unexpectedly a bit of an ordeal, uh, in getting the NUC up and running. Uh, as as he said, he's had some trouble installing, some trouble uh, actually getting it to run after it's installed. And so, and it doesn't seem to be consistent from Linux distribution to Linux distribution. It doesn't seem to be consistent from one NUC to the other NUC. So he's got some i threes and i5s if I remember correctly or maybe it's i5s and i7s I don't remember but he's got a couple of different models mm -hmm. and so he's not getting consistent results and one of his comments more recently has been that he's a little surprised that Intel who touts Linux compatibility especially with the NUC um, is that he has so much trouble with the installation and getting this stuff working 
uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a little surprised as well. Yeah, yeah. Intel is usually uh, much better uh, at Linux compatibility than uh, some of the other yeah. computer manufacturers out there. But let's face it, this is uh, an, a new technology for them, this new form factor and, you know, maybe the technology they're using inside the box isn't all that new. But the SSDs, maybe it's the way they've got it set up. I was trying to think based on George's comment about the SSD may have some validity that with two SSDs in the system, there's a bit of a confusion there on installation. Uh, I don't know. I I know my System76, it came with, you know, the integrated mSATA and a storage bin for another uh, hard drive. And I had an SSD drive that I installed but when I, of course, it came pre-installed with Ubuntu and I wanted Mint on it. So when I installed Mint, uh, I didn't actually have the second hard drive installed at that time because I knew the second hard drive I would use as my uh, repository for all data. So I was intending to use it as a home partition. I didn't actually set it up as a home partition. I just provided links to the uh storage drive from my home partition so uh anyway i when i installed mint i installed it without the second hard drive in there so i didn't have the same situation that george did here i i kind of started off with the situation that george ended up with which is disconnecting the second ssd and installing the operating system on the first ssd and then connect the second one up afterwards so I, I I don't know if I would have had the same sort of problem if I had had both uh, both drives installed at the same time. So I really can't provide any comparison. It's not it's not apples to apples, I guess. Well, Larry, you're supposed to know all this stuff automatically. Oh, just uh, just through magic, I guess. Yeah, huh? magic. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what's going on. If you can help George, if you have any suggestions, get on the Google Plus community. Give him some assistance. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you. Yeah. I'm sure someone can help him out. Yep. And finally, from Al, we have a gone Linux story. Thanks, Al. He writes, Hi, Larry and Bill. I have a really good Gone Linux story for you. A couple of years ago, I wrote to you about how I had moved my parents onto the Watt OS distribution on some old hardware. That hardware finally failed earlier in August this year. So I said I would take them to the local computer store and help them to choose a new machine. I wasn't keen on doing this as I knew we'd have to get a Windows box, but we needed to get something and I had limited time with my folks. Anyway, the great thing was they didn't want to use Windows at all. They told me that Linux was more secure and stable and did what they needed. So now I have installed Ubuntu Mate on their new laptop and they're telling their friends about how fast it is and that they don't need to worry about viruses and all the pop-ups they used to get on Windows. So Linux wins. Keep up the great podcast. I've been with you since year one, and it's still one of the best listens on the internet. Cheers, Al, in the UK. Well, thanks, Al. So, Bill, uh, any chance you might have an application pick or a tip for our listeners this time around? I sure do. I sure do. Okay. 
It's Microsoft Edge. No, seriously. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, right. No. Okay, that 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 was not funny. Um, I would just have to say Chrome. Uh, I've just been using Chrome a lot lately, and I've you I've called Chrome as my favorite before, but it's just so nice to always have an up to date browser. It works well. Um, it just you really don't appreciate it until you don't have it. And I remember I had to use uh, uh, an older version of uh, Firefox, and I was like, this is painful. <laughs> so you kind of get spoiled with something that's always there. But, I, just, uh, you know, this Chrome is one of those that's just always there, always does a good job. And sometimes we just forget to say uh, to the developers, hey, guys, thanks a lot. This really makes my life easier. Well, that's great. And I also use Chrome, so... Thanks, Chrome developers. Yeah, thanks, Chrome developers. How about you? Do you have an app? Yeah, I have one. I don't know whether this is open source or not. I know there's an open source version of it, and um, but it's definitely cross-platform. Uh, there is a, a different software for, for doing this on Linux that it's not cross-platform but is open source, but I use this cross-platform version because it's cross-platform. Okay. It's software that changes the color temperature of your screen to match the time of day. And what I mean by that is, apparently there have been some studies done that indicate that the blue hue that comes off of most computer screens these days mm -hmm. is not very conducive for you getting good a good night's sleep. And so as nighttime comes on, if you change the color hues from blue to more amber and red, that helps your body to adjust more to nighttime and gives you better sleep. So I have installed Lux and it's f.lux is the, um, the actual name of the software as it comes up um, in the help screen. And it is available for Mac and Linux and Windows, and it does just that. You can change how much the color hue changes, and you can make some other selections on it. But essentially what it does is it dims down your computer screen at night, typically when you're not needing it to be so bright anyway. But in it's not just a brightness adjustment, it's a color adjustment as well, and it's noticeable. You can see that it goes from kind of more bluish tints to more uh, amber or reddish tints. And it makes a big difference. Not that I'm getting any better sleep necessarily, <laughs> but it does make it easier on the eyes at, at nighttime to look at the screen for longer periods of time. So I like it a lot. We'll have links in the show notes to this software. Hmm. And if I can find the open source version, I'm sure it's in the uh, Mint repositories. Uh, I will uh, include that as well. And our next episode will be the Linux advantage of community. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast, Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73.
music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.